welcome Nexus Church family online to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook. But we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series in the book of Mark. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking into Mark chapter 9 and, and establishing the fact that only Jesus is to be glorified on earth. That is coming from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus established his power and rule and authority over even the, the most influential people in that time, that being Elijah and Moses, those that so many in that day looked up to and revered. And, and it's not that it was bad <laughs> that we are looking up to others, but the fact is nobody, only Jesus is to be glorified and honored above all things. Then last week we dug into the story of a father and his demon-possessed son. And he makes this powerful statement to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. You see, we all have this head knowledge of some things, but it's truly the heart that reveals whether we really believe it or not. And we established in that that message and kind of dug up some things in ourselves and asked the question, where is my unbelief? And then we want to get over that unbelief. We want to establish that, that truly our belief in God and what he can do makes a difference. And so we need to press in and believe again in this truth that God has established in his word and stand upon it and claim it for ourselves and stop listening to the lies of the enemy who wants to destroy you and cling to the truths that are in God's word and get back to that discipline of being with him, spending time in his word, spending time in his presence and allowing him to speak life into you. And so now this week, we come down from the mountain. We come down from that, that amazing healing that Jesus did in this boy's life. Because it eventually led to the fact that this man, this father, believed. And when he took that step of belief, Jesus healed his son immediately. And so now we walk away from that amazing encounter with Jesus and, and those Two mighty men of the Old Testament that everybody looked up to and, and had this revere for. And then we step down into this amazing healing. And now it's just Jesus and the disciples once again. And so they are going to their next ministry opportunity. And, and Jesus intentionally takes time to be with them and to pour into them. And then as they go on to the next ministry, after he speaks life into them, prepares them for what was about to come, they have this interesting discussion on the way that Jesus has to pull the old dad card on. 
You see, Jesus was much like a fatherly figure to them, as many rabbis were or teachers were in that day. And so Jesus gets to pull the dad card on him in today's story. And so let's get into it in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. A very short little exchange, but so much involved in this passage. Then they left that place, that is, the place where the man was healed, and they went through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, right? He was spending time with them, pouring into them. He did this often. And in this instance, he said, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. They did not understand the statement. And they were afraid to ask him. Okay, we'll just stop there for a moment and just consider this, right? Jesus has been with them nearly three years up to this point, pouring into them, showing them mirac- miracles after miracles, healings after healings, uh, raising people up from the dead, powerful stories and, and examples of what it means to follow God and to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and now he is telling them, One more time. This isn't the first time he's told them this, right? I'm about to be betrayed. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you so that you can spend all of eternity with me in the kingdom of heaven, in the presence of God Almighty. Yet they were afraid, afraid to ask, what is he talking about? And this would continue to go on until the day the Holy Spirit came and poured power into their lives. I'm so thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit. But that's another message for another time. So Jesus pours into them one more time and tells them, this is about to come. Be prepared. I am not leaving you as orphans or widows or or I'm I'm not leaving you alone. I will be back, right? That's what Jesus was promising them is I'm going to die, but I will raise from the grave and I will empower you, right? He he's loves them so much that he doesn't want them to be afraid. He doesn't want them to feel like they are powerless. And so he pours into them. And, and after that time of being poured into, they once again go off to the next ministry city. That is, in this instance, Capernaum. And so when they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? (laughs) Right? What were you arguing about? So they left this time with Jesus after seeing all the miracles and and experiencing God speaking down upon Jesus. This is my son. Listen to him. And then they started arguing amongst themselves. But it's not so much that they were arguing. (laughs) Listen what they were arguing about. But they were silent because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Are you kidding me? They were still somehow, after what Jesus just told them, arguing about who was going to be in power on Jesus' right hand and left hand when he came to power as the king of Israel. They were still believing Jesus to be the Messiah, to be the one that, that, I mean, obviously Jesus was the Messiah, but they were thinking he was the Messiah on the earth, on the kingdom of earth. 
They still hadn't got it. They were still absolutely confused. And they were thinking that I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. Twelve men, after seeing all that Jesus had done throughout his ministry and how he served others, thinking that the way in God's kingdom was to be a leader, was to be number one, was to rule on this earth. Well, Jesus, like I said before, pulls out his dad card. He had enough. After listening to them arguing the whole way to Capernaum, after their clearly embarrassment when Jesus asked them, you know, like, what, how, how is it that parents always know, right? I mean, when I was a kid, my parents always figured out when I was doing something wrong. And here Jesus is, just like our parents, or if you're a parent, just like you are to your kids, they figured it out. And he figured it out. And as they hung their heads, he gives them a couple of different lessons. And so sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last. And a servant of all. Then he took a child, had him sit or stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me, whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. So what's up with the garden unit? He just, oh, the heart of Jesus, he just had to be broken. Like, guys, you still not get it? You haven't figured it out after I've lived this for you for three years. You still don't get it. Friends, this is for us as it was for the disciples. If you want to be great, you must be servant of all. Now this isn't necessarily for those who just want to be great, want to be the head of their class or, or head of the business or their department or, or whatever it is. Right? Not everybody, I get it, wants to be first or wants to be the greatest. And some people want to be a fly on the wall and just kind of blend in with everything. But even if that's you, if you just kind of like to be in the background, I still want this message to be a challenge for you today or an encouragement, better yet, for you today. You see, to be great is a good thing. It's something that I want everybody to be reaching for. In fact, we'll talk about that at the end of the message today. It's a good thing. I want to encourage you. But in this passage, this was written to those of us who truly want to see a difference in this world. And I do believe that everybody deep down inside wants to do great things for God. And so if we want to be that person today, let this message be for you. You see, in our world today, this 
servant of all goes against everything we see, everything we hear, everything that is taught, whether it's on TV, social media, in the classroom, in the business world, wherever it is, the first thing that you are told is that you need to elevate yourself, right? It's, it's everywhere. It's on TV. It's in the news. It, you need to promote yourself if you want to get good, if you want to succeed. But what's even more alarming, that's been around forever, what I consider to be more dangerous than anything is what I've seen transpire over the last couple of years. And that is the belittlement of others. How, how influential people have been taking it upon themselves to absolutely destroy their opponents. I don't think you have to think too hard to know where I'm going with this. It's been in politics really really a lot lately. For the last two, three years, I would say for sure the last two elections for the president, it has been the most disgusting thing to watch. And I hope America has enough with this, that the generation coming up that's been raised up underneath our, our ministries, our very own eyes, our households, I hope that they will put their foot down and say, this is enough. Stop tearing down each other. It is uncalled for. I think the next generation, or I should say the now generation that is with us, that is raising up to power within our very own eyes, has had enough. It's time that we get a grip on how we treat others. But right now, the most powerful people in the world believe that first and foremost, we tear down everything about the other person. Now we elevate ourselves up. It's totally flip-flopped. When I was a kid, it, it always used to be we just elevate ourselves, show everything that we've done and how good we are and how, how awesome we are, and then maybe talk a little bit about how that other person isn't as good. But it was always about us. It's always self-centered. Now it's like destroy the other person and then show how good we are. But it's a lot about how horrible that other person is and their policies and what they think and, and what their track record is. It's all the bad things. It's all the bad clips that you hear them say. It's time. America is absolutely tearing itself apart. And Jesus speaks right to that heart. I think what beats me up more than anything is when Christians get behind it. And when we support those candidates who do it, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Even if I agree with their policy, I can absolutely disagree and highlight how improper that attitude is. I don't care if you're Christian or not. That's called being a human being. Treating others with respect, honoring, dignity, caring for others. Now I realize we're all fallen, but I think there's enough of God in us. Even us depraved souls who are still evil in some ways. I think there's enough God inside all of us, at least here on earth, to see that honor and dignity. 
go a long ways and should be foremost in the public realm. Jesus hits it. You must be a servant of all. Servant. Caring for others. Not putting them down. Not self-promoting. Not belittling. We are to be a servant. Called to care for others. Love them. And But... Not only are we called to serve others in this passage, that's what Jesus says, we must be a servant of all. That means that we come and we humbly care for those who are below us. But not only are we called to to serve them, we're called to elevate them. We're to honor them. Right? That's, what, that's what Jesus does when he welcomes the child, right? Because in that day, according to David Guzik, listen to how he put it. He said, children regarded more as property than individuals in that day. It was understood that they were to be seen and not heard. And when Jesus welcomes in this child, and we'll actually read it in a couple more instances in the next coming uh, sections that we cover this, we're going to take a break for Christmas, and then we'll come back again in the new year, and we'll see this happen twice more, where Jesus touches those children, and everybody around him says, no, 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 get away. Stop bothering our teacher. He's too good for you. Get away. But Jesus welcomes them. He says, You are to welcome them. You are to actually see them. And not just serve them, but to elevate them, to put them in a proper place of honor and dignity and respect. You see, Jesus was was highlighting what's already understood scripturally. And it's throughout scriptures. We get it in James 1.27. Where James, Jesus' half-brother, says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Right? The lowest. Right? Orphans and widows. Those who are, are left alone. Don't have a parent. Don't have a spouse. They're, they're alone. Now, now, truly, orphans and widows in the New Testament time, if you dig into some of Paul's writings, are those who don't have other family members around. Like, these are true afflicted people. They're alone. We're called to love them. And we see this in Psalms 82.3, where we read, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Now, all this goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses writes this perfectly. This is directly from God, and I want to read it to you and understand that when God says this, this is the the foundation for it. And so I'll hopefully establish that for you and then explain it a little bit. And so this is Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 21. So a little bit of a section. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And so right before this, 
God laid out those commandments again, right? The, the covenant that he made with Israel. This is how you are to live. Do you agree with this? Of course, they're like, yes. And so God was once again rehashing that out. Please follow this. Keep the Lord's commands and statutes I'm giving you today for your own good. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your fathers and loved them. He chose their descendants after them. He chose you out of all the peoples as it is today. Therefore, circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. Right? They've had their moments where they turned away and they worshiped their own gods and the gods of those around Israel. And so they had rejected God in the past. And God's like, don't do that. Stick to me. Circumcise your heart. Wow. Right? Circumcision in the physical sense was a very painful, but a very, it was a definite way that they established that they followed God. But God's like, I don't want your just your physical outward. I want your heart. I want inside of you. I want you. For the Lord your God is the God of the is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves the resident aliens, giving him food and clothing. Listen to this. Now, this is where it transitions. This is the, really the, the first sign or way of how they, the Israelites, could follow after God. This is the reflection of what it means to be a follower. He says, you are also to love the resident alien. In that time, we would call it maybe a refugee or those who aren't a part of our community. Right? You're to love the outsider. Since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt, you are to fear the Lord your God and worship him. Remain faithful to him and take oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great awe-inspiring works your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 people in all, and now the Lord your God has made you numerous like the stars in the sky. This is where it all comes from. It comes back to the fact that God brought them out as aliens from another land, brought them into the promised land. They had messed up. They had done some wrong things. They went to Egypt. He used it to save the nation. And then he brought them out of Egypt as aliens back into their promised land. After they would again messed up a little bit in the wilderness and traveled around for 40 years. And they finally got back in. And God established these rules to follow. Not as a hammer to beat them up with, but as a reflection of their heart for him. And then he says, you too, you too, love those who are aliens, who are outsiders. Take care of those who have been made widows and orphans. We are called, friends, once again, to care for and elevate the least of these. If we want to make a difference in this world, it starts by caring for the least of these and elevating them. 
showing them that they matter to God. That's greatness. That's making a difference. And so today, as we kind of come and wrap this up, I want to ask you that question that I began with in regards to ambition. What is your ambition? So often we say ambition is a bad thing or, or I don't have bad ambitions. I, I, I'm just whatever, you know. We have such differing views about ambitions. But really take a look at your own heart and ask that question. What really drives me? That's ambition. What's driving me? And so it's not that ambition is either bad or good. It's the heart behind it. It's what's driving you. I love how William Barclay put it. He said that this way. He said, it was not that Jesus abolished ambition. Right? That is greatness. He didn't abolish it. He didn't say, don't fight to be great. Greatness is garbage. Greatness is of the devil. He didn't say that. He actually elevated it, right? As William said, rather he recreated and sublimated or channeled ambition, right? It wasn't that ambition is bad or trying to be great is bad. It's the heart behind it. He goes on to say, for the ambition to rule, he substitute the ambition to serve. For the ambition to have things done for us, he substituted the ambition to do things for others. So good. Ambition or greatness is a God thing. And I believe today with all my heart that it is something that we as Christians can redeem. We can be great for the right reasons. And I want to encourage you to do that today. And as we come to an end, I want to close with a passage from Micah, Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. And I know this is a, a 6 8 is a very popular <laughs> passage that many people quote in different ways and for different reasons, but I want to read everything leading up to 6 8. Because it really establishes where God is looking. What we've established today, the heart. And so in Micah 6.1, it says, Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your complaints. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains, and enduring foundations of the earth. Because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what King Balak and Moab proposed. What Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from the Acacia Grove of Gilgal. So that you may acknowledge the Lord's righteous act. Now, <laughs> to summarize that, over and over again, God was reaching out to Israel and saved them. There were so many opportunities where God could have just allowed Israel to be annihilated for the wickedness of their hearts, but he continued to have mercy on them, not giving them what they deserved. 
And so he was saying, what have I done to you, Israel? I've given you everything. I've continuously held back my wrath towards you because I'm a pure and perfect God and you have misrepresented me to the nations of this earth that I called you to be a light to. What have you against me? You should be gone long ago. I've held back. And now that I've finally allowed you to go through pain and sorrow because I've, I've... needed to correct you, now that I've corrected you, you have all these things against me, but you forget what I've done. You forget what I've done. You think that being great is all that there is in this world. You just want me to bless you so that you can be this awesome nation that rules over everybody and has this amazing temple to to show your awesomeness, to be the best in all the world. You once had the greatest kingdom, But you let it get to your head. Your ambitions were wrong. Your ambitions were wrong. You thought it was all outward appearance. And then we come to verse 6 of Micah 6. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before Him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body and my own sin? Right? He's like, what can I do now? How, how do I make myself right with God? What is it that you're looking for? I, I, I give you it all. Is that what you want? And he says, mankind, he has told each of you what is good and what is the Lord required of you to act justly to love faithfulness and walk humbly with your God see to be great we must become a servant like Jesus we must walk humbly do what's right love what God loves care for those who God cares for elevate them Show them the love of Jesus. After all that Jesus did for the disciples, they still didn't get it. They're still arguing about who was going to be sitting at the head of the table when Jesus got to be the king of Israel. This continued on and on. And it still continues today in all of our hearts. This just isn't for the Israelites, it's for us. We fight the same battle. We fight the same battle. Wanting to be great, even if we say we don't. We want to be recognized. We want people to say we're awesome. Great job. And that's, that's natural. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying fight for what's most important. Walk humbly. Let your identity be in Christ, not what others say about you. Well, Paul summarized it this way. He said, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's where your identity comes from. That's what matters, whether you're great or not, to be pleasing to him. 
So friends, are you willing to partner with God to serve others, to elevate others, and to find your greatness in Him? Father, I pray for those listening today that they would understand their identity is in you. Their greatness is in you. God, it is so hard to believe that, to really get that into our hearts. And so I echo, as the father of the demon-possessed boy echoed last week, help my unbelief. I believe, I know that my identity is in you, but so often I forget that. Remind me again that I am your beloved son, that I'm your beloved daughter, and that's all that matters. Father, I pray that for every person listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nexus Church family, for joining us again this week, and we'll see you again soon.